table if you uh, want to learn more. Uh, please turn your Bibles to Hebrews 6, Hebrews chapter 6. So the book of Hebrews is written to a church that had faced uh, some dynamic changes. Uh, and as a church, we're preparing to face change over the next week. Uh, we've had a series of sermons about qualifications, calling, and so on. And, uh, but we'll, we'll face some more changes as we grow. Now, let me ask you, if, if I were to ask you, uh, how many of you enjoy change? Uh, some of you are more inclined to be people who like change, but none of you wants to stay where you are, because if you stay where you are, what are you? Dead. You're dead. If you don't grow older, you're dead. And life is about a series of changes. A couple years ago, and this was a beautiful exchange, a couple years ago, uh, when we had first gotten our puppy, I'm, I'm sorry for using our dog as an illustration, but I, I don't have, we don't have children, and uh, he's not a child, but we, he, was, uh, uh, he was rather naughty. And uh, especially, he wanted a lot of our attention. And we considered whether we should get the second dog to give the first dog some companionship. And uh, Narita and I said, uh, by the way, we decided not to, uh, I said, well, I don't know. I don't know about getting another dog because I really love Theo. And it'd be hard for me to know how to balance my love. And Narita, in, in wisdom, said, you know, when God calls us and expands our world, this was much bigger than about a dog, he expands our hearts with it. And we're able to love. It's why people can have one child, then a second child, and love them equally because God expands the parents' hearts. And as a church, as new people come, as we face changes as a church, God will expand our heart to be able to love and to give in ways that we didn't expect to do before. So change is something that can be really beautiful because it actually grows us up. Did you ever look at, uh, I mean, one of the reasons I enjoy pictures, and particularly older pictures so much, is to think about, did I really once look like that? Did I comb my hair like that? Um, we're far enough removed from poofs that we can talk about poofs. Um, there are some magnificent poofs in, uh, in some of those pictures from not too long ago. Uh, I, I used to part my hair in the middle, and I had ample brown hair. I also saw work uh, I was keen uh, muscular I meant uh, so, so we look at these old pictures and we think my how much we've changed and, and it's easy for us to kind of pine for those days where we looked like that but I don't want to go back be 17 again I want to be 51 because that's where God has called me I want to be a balding 51 I'm okay with it now, there are some physical features that we shouldn't necessarily... Well, let's just leave physical features alone. So, the word change, our English word change comes from the Latin word. The original Latin word was for barter, where you traded something. Change is about trading something. And uh, let me ask you a question. I kind of answered, is change inevitable? Is change inevitable? Sure it is. Uh, is change bad? 
Some change might, oh, who knows, okay, so. Is life changing faster today than it did 50 years ago? Is it changing faster? Is change exponential? In other words, as more change happens, does that lead to more change leading to more change? Uh, do you know that scientists argue about this? I was actually reading some things this week. Uh, let's think about a couple uh, kind of world changes. There have been four industrial revolutions in, in, the, in modern humanity. First of all was when water and steam power became available. That changed the world. Suddenly you didn't have to rely on sailing ships. Sailing ships had been used from ancient history until uh, the late 1700s or the 1700s when steam and water power became available and, and it, that changed our world. The, the next kind of shift industrial revolution is the advent of electricity to power things. Late 1800s. The next one is, uh, happens in the 1960s, 70s, and 80s and what we'll call it electronics and, and information technology. Uh, when, when we first got email, this would have been about the 19, mid-1990s, Juno became the email provider. How many of you remember this thing where the first time you, 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 would, you would hear your computer do this? And uh, it'd take this long stretch of time to get your email. To, to the young people here, that seems like eons ago. I tell people I was born 25 B.C., before computers. Uh, and, and, and so you have water and steam, you have electric, and then you have electronics and the digital era. And actually, I think we live in the fourth industrial revolution, and it's the digital revolution. Did you think about the fact that how in the last maybe 15, 20 years, how much our world has shrunk? It is possible for us to communicate with someone across halfway around the world, which is as far apart as two people can be on, on the earth. And we can communicate in real time with those people using digital, well, within a second, using di di digital technology. And it's made our world much smaller. Here's another way to think about it. Uh, there have been four turnings in, in human history in relation to communication. First of all is the development of alphabet. You know, you need alphabet to write. The second one is writing. So you need to be able to put these, string these alphabet together. And these all happen in the last um, about 4,000, uh, about 5,000 years. five to 8,000 years, depending on your view of when the flood happened. Um, so, and then in the, in the 1400s, there's the invention of the printing press. And then, I think we actually live in another turning, the Internet. The Internet has revolutionized communication. And so, we live in a time when the change is escalating around us. Now, why, why do I say all of that? As we face this coming week in our church, it'll change the texture of our church. But that's okay, because we have something much bigger to anchor onto. And, and I think that, that, that what many people in the world are looking to looking for is a place to anchor onto something that is solid and will not change. All of us need an anchor point at some place in our lives. Because if we rely on information and technology and communication and humanity, everything is shifting all the time. And there can be no solid foundation to go to. Hebrews 6, 
Please follow with me as I read, in your copies of the Scriptures, as I read beginning at verse 9. Though we speak in this way, yet in your case, beloved, we feel sure of better things, things that belong to salvation. For God is not so unjust as to overlook your work and the love that you showed for his sake in serving the saints as you still do. And we desire each one of you to show the same earnestness. Listen, each one of you to show the same earnestness to have the full assurance of hope until the end, so that you may not be sluggish, but imitators of those who through faith and patience inherit the promises. For when God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no one greater by whom to swear, he swore by himself, saying, Surely I will bless you and multiply you. And thus Abraham, having patiently waited, obtained the promise. For people swear by something greater than themselves, and in all their disputes an oath is final for confirmation. So when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise the unchangeable character of his purpose, he guaranteed it with an oath, so that by two unchangeable things, in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have strong encouragement to hold fast to the hope set before us. We have this as a sure and steadfast anchor of the soul, a hope that enters into the inner place behind the curtain, where Jesus has gone as a forerunner on your behalf, having become a high priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. Now, did you notice that there are unchangeables in our world? This word unchangeable literally means, in Greek, literally means not able to change. It is only used twice in the entire New Testament, this word, and it is used both times here in Hebrews 6. Notice verse 17. So when God desired to show more convincingly to the heirs of the promise the unchangeable character of his purpose... He guaranteed it with an oath so that by two unchangeable things in which is it impossible for God to lie, we who have fled for refuge might have something, a sure and steadfast, I'm abbreviating, a sure and steadfast anchor. So we anchor into whatever is these two unchangeable things. So what are these two unchangeable things? Number one, these two unchangeable things One of them is God. God is unchangeable. Do you know what one of the joys of heaven will be? No change. We will be fully complete. Part of the reason that we face so much change in our world is that you are not fully redeemed. You are not fully complete. By the way, I I read... um, this, over the last couple of weeks, Philip Yancey has a new book. It's his memoir. It's about growing up in a fundamentalist home. And his mother believed that she had finally arrived with full, uh, what do you call it? Uh, um, full, um, uh, she was fully regenerated. What Philip and his brother very well understood, she wasn't. And, and she... And a part of the change that needs to happen in our congregation at PCF, in your life, in my life, is that we need to keep growing in Christ. But we have something solid to go to that will not change. God. Uh, 
but notice he says, so that by two unchangeable things, and I've, I've thought and thought, what is the, un, what are the, what is, so God is unchangeable. All agree? All agree? God is unchangeable. And as a church, we choose to anchor to that. We don't anchor to our constitution. We don't anchor to our vision and mission. <coughs> Excuse me. That may change with time. Think about having a, a vision and mission that might say something like, uh, um, well, I don't know. I, 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 I'd have to go back and read some church's vision and mission statements from the past. But, but things change. Our world changes. The way we operate in our world changes. Uh, let, let, let's use one. Uh, my grandpa uh, would have believed that, that uh, uh, rubber tires on tractors was sinful. Now, that's a poor example, though. All right, so, so uh, we're called with, with technology. We are called to live in a world. God has chosen us. Think about this. God has chosen us to live in this world with all the technology that we have. He's chosen us. We are called, as his people, to live right now. The call, then, is to use that technology in such a way that honors him both in our personal use and how we spread the gospel. Those things would have been irrelevant even in the 1970s or 80s or even portions of the 1990s for our people. That's changed. So as a church, we don't, we don't anchor to a vision and mission statement. We don't anchor to our constitution. We anchor to a person, Jesus Christ, God, who is unchangeable. The second thing, the unchangeable character of his purpose. God's purpose has not changed in all of human history. Notice he's talking about Abraham. And he said, God made a promise to Abraham since he had no one greater by whom to swore. He swore by himself. This is the occasion where God called Abraham and said, I want to give you the promise. And Abraham said, oh, how will I know this? And then God, listen, God does this. He takes animals Remember? He tells Abraham, take these animals and split them and lay them out on the ground between the two halves. Uh, make a path between the two halves. It's one of those gory scenes in the Old Testament that you want to be a little careful about talking to your three-year-old about. Maybe not reenact that one uh, quite right away. But it's one of those scenes, and, and in the Old Testament, they would swear to each other. Let's say, uh, let's say Andrew and I had made a business deal or any one of you, Wayne and I or whoever had made a business deal in, in that world, rather than signing a, a physical contract, what we would do is take an animal and we'd split that animal and, you know, the blood would run down through that middle. Then we'd walk through that in between those two halves of those animals and we'd say, now if I break this contract, may I be like this animal split in two. And so God made this promise to Abraham, and he said, I want to bring hope, healing, and restoration to the world through you. And Abraham is not perfect, but he's real. And uh, God tells him to split those animals. They split the animals. And who goes, you notice, uh, in, go back and read the story. Thank you, Wayne. <clears throat> Thank you. 
Does anyone recount the story well enough to know what happens? A- Abraham splits all these animals, a bloody scene. And then, then uh, Abraham falls into a deep sleep. And he either awakens or sees it in his sleep. What happens? Somebody tell me. Does Abraham pass through there? God passed through. Abraham didn't have to pass through because God said, you know, you're human, you're broken, I'm going to pass through there, and it will, I'm swearing by myself that I will keep my promise. And God can't change, he's swearing by himself. It's kind of like this, this two-edged thing, God and his purpose, and you can't separate the two. And so God's purpose has been the same throughout all of human history, to bring humanity back to him in proper relationship. That's all it is. That is the gospel tied up in a nutshell. It is about Jesus coming. and It is about God creating man in a beautiful way in his image and then man sinning their way into existence, into an existence that God hadn't designed and then God saying, you know what, you broke the covenant but I'm going to give myself. And then who dies on the cross as a sign of that promise, as a, as a seal to that promise? It is Jesus Christ. And so, I'm telling you, brothers and sisters, I'm telling you, church, that that's what we anchor to. Our lives will change. 20 years from now, this church will look different than it does. But there will be one constant, God and His purposes. So when we face change in today's world, as we face change this coming week, I think there's three possible responses by us. One, we fight the change. See, I don't want to change. I'm not willing to change. Uh, recently, I spoke to someone, and they said uh, he was really upset at his wife. No bun from here, okay? Somebody I know. And he said, for 31 years that we've been married, we have always gone grocery shopping at Tuesday at 6 p.m. And... For the first time, I presume unless it was a holiday, they hadn't gone grocery shopping at 6 p.m. because his wife had something, and it really upset him. And I thought, ay, 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 I'm glad I don't have to live with that guy. He's not willing to change. Can you imagine? He's also a little OCD, I think, but anyway. Um, and may have another mental illness that I don't know anything about. But anyway, okay, okay so... When we hear stories like that, though, our first reaction is, ah, we don't want to live like that. We want to be able to change. But when we fight change that God is bringing into our lives, when we fight it, and that this is both personal change and corporate change, when we fight change, we're like that. I want it the way it was. And that is inherently selfish. The second thing we can do is fear change. Remember uh, Chris's sermon, uh, very good sermon about the great shepherd of the sheep last week. If you go on in that passage in, in 1 Peter 5, it says this, Humble yourself, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you. Cast all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Do you know what that, uh, that idea of a roaring lion, you know what that uh, passage calls us to? When lions hunt in prides, a pride of lion is a group of lions. 
Okay? So when a group of lions, a pride of lion hunts, they, one, of the main, one, of the, uh, one of the lions will often go, go over here and he'll roar. And the people are the people. The antelope or the gazelle or whatever hears that lion roar and runs away. And the other part of the group of lions lies in wait in the route that that, guy, that, that antelope will take. And that is, when it, when it talks about a roaring lion, that is the picture that all the people who read that in the, in that in the world that I was written would have understood it. And so when the devil roars, when you hear that sound of change, you can run from it. You can be scared. Oh, no, we don't want it. And you take off. You're going to run right into the buzzsaw. You're, you're playing into his ploys. So when you fight it and when you fear it, you're playing right into his ploys, the devil's ploys. So how do we embrace change? I think that we, the only way to face change, that we can face change in a changing world, is with courage. And it's, the only way we can do it is if we have an anchor point, something solid, bigger than ourselves, to anchor to. What are you anchored to? What are you anchored to? Where do you find your meaning? There is something unchangeable. It's the nature, character, and the purposes of God. And so as we think about this coming week, and that I, I'm not, I don't hear people saying, oh, we don't want this to happen or anything like that. I, I, that's not, I think we need to be reminded constantly, though, in our changing world, that we have something solid to anchor to. We can put our, we can hang on to that. As we think about, certainly this will change. Remember the story of Theo and uh, us getting a puppy? Uh, our hearts will enlarge as a church to embrace another pastor. We will grow together in that. And as we do that, we'll become stronger. And by the way, um, I just want to bless you at PCF. The other Sunday when we had that uh, wonderful time uh, with the, the social hour. I like social hour. The coffee and the, the gifts you gave us. Thank you. And It reminded me that this is a very generous giving church. And that this church will open up its heart and embrace another person as a pastor. I bless you in that. I lo- I just, I'm going to once again just go over the order of events for this coming week so that we understand clearly. We will have a Wednesday evening. This is for both those of you here and those of you who are uh, listening on Facebook. We will have a Wednesday evening service at 7 o'clock here at the church, we'll open with a song or two. I will moderate. And then Steve Miller from Christian Life will have a short sermon. And it will not be about the qualifications. It'll just be something about embracing the, the way that God has called us to. And then we will simply take the voice of the church. The process that we will use to do that is we will pass out three by five cards. And all of you who are members 
will be expected to either write a name on the card or either hand in a blank. If, you, if God hasn't given you a name, um, we, we still want to get your blank card. Just put the blank card in. It's okay. I also want to say something. Dennis called me this week. Dennis says, can't be here. They're going... Can't be. They're going to Florida. I guess they could be, but uh, they're going to Florida today, right? Katasha, they, they left today. Dennis has been instrumental in my own journey. He was there at my ordination, and has been involved in here. I preached not long ago. He said, "I just want to really encourage the people at PCF." He he wanted me to say this that um, if God is asking you, he said, "I tell this," and I, I'd forgotten that he often says this. If God is calling you to to vote for a family member or a close relative. You should do that. Um, and if God is, doesn't give you a name, clearly doesn't give you a name, then you just you hand in a blank card. So what we'll do is we'll pass out the cards, and um, just to, to clarify the process, Chrysus and Narita and I will vote first. So there would be no chance of us kind of knowing the tally and, and saying, oh yeah, I'd, I'd like to add to that. So we'll vote. We'll hand in our cards first. I'll be standing back there and inviting you back, uh, whatever way you wish. But just keep the line moving. You'll come back. Steve and Sam and Chris will sit in the room, and uh, you'll put your card in a basket by couples, and then uh, they will take them out and tally uh, the votes. And then uh, once you've done, you're done voting. You're free to leave on on Wednesday evening. Then we will contact the candidate or candidates that evening and set up an interview time. We will work the very hardest to communicate with you as a church about what the process will be, who the candidates are, as soon as possible. Now, if you cannot be here on Wednesday evening, you need to let Chris or myself know so that we can get your vote ahead of time. We do need your vote ahead of time. We will reach out to those Matt Scalens and uh, those who, those Linda, those who aren't here with us. We will reach out to them this week, before that, and see uh, with with their vote. If you do choose to do that, you will vote to both Chris and myself, not just to one of us. So that's uh, Wednesday evening. We'll interview then, uh, give us a little time, and then Sunday morning, as Chris announced, uh, there'll be no Sunday school here. We'll begin the service at 10 o'clock. Have worship. And just, uh, I'll be preaching, and then uh, uh, a bit of time of prayer, and uh, give you the order. And then Sunday evening is the ordination. Again, uh, every church group and every church does it a little differently. When we do the tally, we'll look at the percentages, and we'll place people in like that. If we do need to use the lot... We will use two songbooks, three songbooks, four songbooks, whatever. Those that look identical, we'll put them into the room. Uh, I'll ask one of the, uh, uh, I'll ask Sam or Steve to take the lot in and put it at a page, certain page in the book. I'll ask the other one to then, and shuffle them, close them, shuffle them. I'll ask the other one to go in and bring them out. We'll shuffle them, lay it out if we use a lot, and then we'll simply say, brothers, choose your books. No age order or anything like that. We'll just do it. And uh, this doesn't have to be high drama. It is simply a way if there are multiple people, and I do believe that there are multiple people God has placed a calling on. Um, if there are multiple people that the church is calling to that space to give us some direction on that. So that is at 6 p.m. on Sunday evening. That allows Sam and Steve to be here. 
and also family of those. If, if there is only one uh, person or couple in the lot, in the lot then we will uh, uh, just ordain them at that point. Is there any questions? And Chris, did I cover it? Okay. Any questions? Takes a little bit of time sometimes to do that, but we want to communicate clearly so that there's no questions. So Wednesday evening, if you cannot be here, let us know. Let's stand together. We'll pray, and then I'll invite the worship team to come forward during that time. Yeah.